You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 37 of the Comic Book Informer. Uh, we're coming to you a bit delayed this week, but you know what? Some things in life are a little more important than comics, but we still had to have at least a little fun in our lives with the comic books. So, as usual, I'm your host, Vince, along with my co-host, Roger. What's up today, buddy? Not much, not much. And it is nice to, to be back. There's no harm in saying it to everyone, too. There was a death in my family, so that's why the um, the episode is delayed. I had to head out of town, and I'm back now. And... Um, it's funny because this happened right during the um, the uh, Com- Comic Con, and um, and it was a very sudden death as well. It was like over literally less than a week from being diagnosed to, to passing away, and it's very very dear aunt of mine. So all this stuff that you know, I've been absolutely dying to talk about. I mean the Eisners that we've had on the site for how long now since it was announced and me reading through a lot of them to review them and to talk about them on the podcast. And you realize, of course, real fast what's important in life. But it is something that I didn't want to not do this episode. Um, It's just obviously had to be delayed. But I really, really want to talk about this stuff because it was so much cool stuff that happened at Comic-Con. And... I figured that it would mainly be stuff with DC's reboot that would take the cake, but a lot of the stuff that came from Marvel as well really blew me away. So, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm really happy to sit down and chit chat about it. All right, so we're actually going to get started on those Eisners because that that is really the focal point of San Diego Comic-Con. Now, yes, there are many other comic conventions over the course of the year, but really San Diego Comic-Con is the leader of the pack, and mostly because they they are the host of the Eisner Awards, the industry's annual, you know, big awards. They're they're Oscars, as they like to say, and you've been really into the whole Eisner thing, so uh, you want to take a quick run of uh, some of the winners? Sure, sure. It's funny because like any award, you're going to look at them and you're not going to agree with everything that's there first and foremost for anyone who has won i certainly don't want to um, discredit that or say they didn't deserve it or to put down any work that they created a lot of the stuff that i read i really loved and when i didn't i was pretty blatant about it (laughs) you know (laughs) none of those won at least (laughs) yes now that would be different if if those had um that said there are some that i wish some other people had won but Overall, there were still a lot of really good wins here. For Best Short Story, we got Postmortem by Greg Rucka and uh, Michael Lark. And that was in I Am an Avenger number two. It's the only story worth reading in I Am an Avenger number two, but it's worth picking up that issue just for that. I wrote a review about it, and it is a very good, powerful short story. I don't know. Did you get a chance to read that one? No, I, I actually have not. Okay, it's worth reading. It's it's like I said, it's... it's uh, it's the only thing in there worth reading, but it still is a very good story. Of course, if you are a, a Captain America fan, then it's almost mandatory reading for last year, in my opinion. It's It was that good. Uh, for best single issue, we've got Hellboy. Uh, double feature of uh, double feature of evil uh, by Mike Mignola and Richard Cobden. I'm actually or sorry, Corbin. I'm actually going to pull up 
the nominees here because I've got the list of winners, but I don't have all of the list of the nominees. Bear with me as I do that because I actually didn't read that Hellboy issue. And the other ones in there were, oh, see, yeah, this is one of the ones that I, I didn't want to say I disagreed with it because I had not read all of the other ones and I hadn't read Hellboy. However, of the ones that I had read, I thought that The Cape by Joe Hill was absolutely amazing. I'd also read Fables number one. I really wasn't crazy about it. I'd read Lock and Key, Keys to the Kingdom number one. It was good, but nowhere near the strength of The Cape. I hadn't read, however, Unknown Soldier number 21 or Hellboy. I don't know if you read any of those. Um, I read The Cape and The Lock and Key, and yeah, I, I really liked both of those. I didn't read The Hellboy, but speaking from experience, at least with the other titles, they've been pretty universally fantastic. Oh, yeah. And the Eisners, like so many other awards, once you start winning awards, it's hard to stop winning them. And Mike Mignola has won awards pretty much every year for the last decade. So I, I can't I can't complain about that uh, That. That one. And I'm sure it is probably very good. However, the thing that I liked about this is that with me, I, I thought the cape was more original. I also thought that it was very powerfully written, very well written. The, 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 um, the art was phenomenal and really matched the the style of the story as well. But just, again, the writing, it, it was so powerful, the dialogue, everything. I just absolutely adored it. So I would have liked to have seen that one. But again, it's, uh, it's, it's I'm quite certain, a good win for, for Hellboy. Um, best continuing series. We had Chew, Echo, Lock and Key, Morning Glories, um, 20th Century Boys, and Scalped. Now, we've both been reading various of those titles, but I'm quite certain that we can both agree <laughs> that in our opinions, the best one won. And Absolutely. that is of course, Chew by John Layman and Rob Giori. So guys, major grats to me. That's one of the big awards there. That's, yeah. that's huge and absolutely well-deserved. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. Best limited series. We got uh, Day Tripper one and it was up against Baltimore, the plague ships, Cinderella from Fable Town, Day Tripper's course, Joe the Barbarian and Stumptown. Now, I had I, I read Joe the Barbarian and Day Trippers as well as uh, Baltimore and uh, and Cinderella. I, I didn't read. Oh, I did read Stumptown as well. Sorry. I, hmm. I didn't review them all because, again, for a little while there, I was reviewing like crazy and then it got busy with other projects and stuff but i did read um all of those i really enjoyed Stumptown. it was good but i didn't think it was quite strong enough to take over joe the barbarian as well as day trippers those are the only two that i thought really really truly deserved it joe the barbarian was mind-boggingly good it was just it was so utterly original imaginative fantastic and i loved it that said in a completely different way day tripper was just as awesome and you could probably say more so day tripper is just the writing in that that story is is just absolutely brilliant and every single issue is fantastic and offers you those different glimpses of that life and i really really liked it a lot really i was hard pressed to decide who I would rather take that. And I mean, at the end of the day, either one could have won and I would have been happy. 
Yeah, Joba the Barbarian was fantastic. I really enjoyed Stumptown, but I'm definitely have to look for a Day Tripper now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. If you haven't read it, it's one of those I think is is there's a few series that I look at and issues for last year, this year, last year that I I feel are mandatory reading essentially, and I strongly feel that Day Tripper and Joe the Barbarian are are mandatory you, you you owe it to yourself to read it for okay. best new series we've got american vampire we've got i zombie <laughs> i zombie we got marine man <laughs> morning glories and Superboy. so uh, this one here i'm sorry but it's you're not going up against the toughest competition here because in my opinion most of those don't deserve to even be in there but that's that's me i loved marine man and i would have been quite happy to see it win American Vampire is 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 very very good. I've been reading it and I enjoy it. However, I kind of had it with vampire stories. <laughs> you know what? I reached that point where I'm not that teenage girl that's, you know, the whole freaking those that that mentality I that thinks that vampires are awesome. So despite this being very well written, obviously, because it is great illustrations and it is good and I'm enjoying it. I really, I don't know. It didn't grab me as much as say Marine Man that I found to be more original and, and more fun to read. That's, it's another one I have to look into. Like, yeah, I zombie and Superboy. Oh, let's Jesus. not talk about those no. morning glories. Uh, it does have its issues, so I don't think it should have won, but I think it was okay with nomination. And Marine Man, I only read the first issue, so I need to I need to read more of that one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, see, I'm not even caught up entirely with Marine Man right now. Um, so a lot of what I'm saying is based on the, the, you know, the first four issues. But, and again, American Vampires certainly deserves to win just as much, in my opinion, as Marine Man. Um, and quite possibly even more so. It, it is a good series, very well written. It's just that I think that if you are of that mentality that you like vampire stories more, then yeah, you will adore it. If you're at a point where you've kind of had it with these vampire stories, it, it holds it back, actually. So <laughs> moving on to best publication for kids. Teen, uh, Tiny Titans won, which is actually, I've read a couple of them. They're cool. They're, they're good. <laughs> I'm not going to go into great detail of the other ones because, I mean, I haven't really read. I don't think I've read a single. I haven't read a single of the other ones. But Tiny Titans is a quick read while my son is looking for other comic <laughs> for his comic book. Whenever we go to the comic <laughs> book store, he knows he can pick one up. And that's the one that I'll pay for, but it takes them a while to find something. And that's when I sit down and I'll just read something. And often I'll pick up a freaking Teeny Titans because they are good. <laughs> Shut up. It's true. <laughs> Best publication for teens. Um, Ghostopolis, Hereville, Return of the Dapper Man, Smile, and no, am I in the right one here? Yeah. That's yes, the right I am. One. Yeah. And Yummy, The Last Days of Southside Shorty. Um, Smile one. I haven't read it. I can't tell you what I think of it. However, quite obviously, Return of the Dapper Man is there. As such, it deserves to win. In my opinion, <laughs> bar none, if Return of the Dapper Man is in a category, it deserves to win for me. And it didn't here. So that's my thoughts. Did you ever get a chance? You got Return of the Dapper Man, didn't you? Oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. And you read it, obviously. Yes, yes. Okay. I, I, we are in agreement on that one. Okay. I didn't know if it... it and, and, and it's the right word to use in this circumstance. I, I didn't know if it moved you as much as it did me because I felt it was hugely impactful. I, I it, it was more than just a comic book. Okay. 
You're not agreeing. I I wouldn't say it was a, a, as personally touching for me as was you, but I it was fantastic. You know, with the whole the whole fantasy world, everything. I loved every bit of it. Now, it it might not have been as personal to me as it was to you, but I thought it was utterly fantastic. Okay, uh, next up, best humor publication went to. I thought you would be funnier. I haven't read any of those. Looking through the list, hold on a second here. I haven't Nothing read by Sergio Aragonés, so no. Yeah, you know, if it's not <laughs> Gru, forget it. I don't want to. <laughs> Best anthology. Uh, who won that one? Mouse Guard, which definitely deserves to win. Mouse Guard is one of those series that I adore, and my son loves them too. So we always read those when they come out. You got oh, nothing? No. no. Okay. Uh, Best digital comic book, Abomination by Charles. Christopher, or is it Abomination Charles? Abomination Charles Christopher. Abominable it, Charles Abominable. Christopher. Okay. Yes. Okay, hold on a second. Okay, we're going to cut there. Abominable Charles Christopher. <laughs> People will never know. <laughs> I haven't read any of the nominees. Did you read any of those? I, I read a lot of digital comics, and I haven't read any of those. Moving right along then. Uh, next, we've got Best Reality-Based Work. It was The War of the Trenches, and I'm looking to see whether or not I'd read any of those. Actually, I hadn't read any of those either, so I can't say really. No. You, no. Okay, Best Graphic Album, new. Well, once again, Return of the Dapper Men, and in this case, they co-won, they tied with Wilson. I haven't read Wilson, so I can't say whether or not they deserved a tie. I'm happy the Return of the Dapper Men won, but... Anything that can be put in the same sentence as Return of the Dapper Men is at least worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah, well, that that is true. Best graphic album reprint, Wednesday Comics. I got nothing. You got anything? No. no. Okay. Because quite frankly, I mean, we've got freaking Simpsons showing up in this list, and I'm thinking, "Eh, really? Seriously? Maybe it's just me because I'm not a huge Simpsons fan. Uh, so we're at best adaptation from another work, The Marvelous Land of Oz, which is actually kind of freaking cool. I will give it that. that. Uh, I don't know if you've read any of the others. No, uh, Marvelous Land of Oz is one of those things I've always heard of, but never quite looked at myself. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Um, best archival Archie. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Best Archival Collection Project Combooks, Dave Stevens, The Rocketeer. Okay. Best U.S. Edition of International Material, it was The War of the Trenches. Once again, that did quite well. I'm going to have to really check that out. Best U.S. and, uh, or hold on, did I skip one? No, you're No, that's it. Yeah, Best of International Material from Asia, 20th Century Boys. You know what? I've got some of those. And I'm dying to read them. I just haven't had a chance yet. That's that's, that's a big uh, oh, pile dude, of comics to dive a, into. It's insane how much there is. So I had planned for us to discuss them in an episode, and we will at some point. But before, it's going to take before a the while end of the twenty first century. Yeah, man. Okay, best writer Joe Hill won for Lock and Key. Okay, now this is another big one here. Best writer. We had um, Ian Booth, Booth, Boothby, Boothby, Booth, whatever, uh, Joe Hill, John Lehman for two, Jim McCann for Return of the Dapper Man, and Nick Spencer for Morning Gro- Glories, Shuttertown, Forget Less in Existence 3.0. Okay. <laughs> this is a big one. What did you think? Who did you think deserved that one? Don't sigh. Just I, say what you think. I, I do have to give it to Joe Hill. I, as much as I love Chew and Return of the Dapper Men, 
I feel those two comics are much more of a collaboration. Like the, the, the art and the writing go together so superbly. They they just work uh, on a much different level. But Joe Hill's actual writing, I I love it. Okay. Without taking away from the quality of his writing, I don't think that it's fair to discount the caliber of the writing no, no, by not, not either Jan, uh, John Lehman or McCann. I just, I just based have a harder on, time separating their writing from the overall work. As yeah, personal. but all that means is that it's a good collaboration. All that means is that they were they found the right person to do the art for that style of writing or or whatever. It certainly, in my opinion, doesn't take away anything from and it and it doesn't prevent me from separating the writer from the artist and i like joe hill's writing a lot however personally i far prefer john layman in terms of a regular series and making you care about characters and it's a lot more difficult than people realize to write zany characters that you actually can really feel for that is difficult and to be able to consistently write humor humorous material because we know how many comic books have we read how many shows have we watched where the humor fades after x amount of episodes or issues and to be able to consistently maintain a level of humor of suspense of complete ass hattery that you care about these characters <laughs> that's a lot more difficult than people realize and his writing is in insanely good and then jim mccann is different in another way jim mccann's writing it's not that it has that you know that that staying power of a series to be able to maintain as as uh, layman has but rather that the writing is just pure genius the writing in and of itself to read just the writing take away all of the illustrations and just read the script his writing is insanely beautiful it is it works perfectly for the story as well and immediately sucks you in i think that in terms of just the strength of a writer let alone in terms of whether it's for a series or a single um a single issue of something i think that jim mccann's strength as a writer far surpasses anybody else there i'm just going to defer to you on the subject <laughs> yeah but again it, it is entirely subjective because it's the same thing as two people looking at a piece of, of art and one person will feel far more for it than the other will and in this case here i can certainly appreciate the talent that joe hill has however in terms of just strength of writing personally i think jim mccann proved it with return of the dapper men now the thing will be whether he can maintain it with the other dapper men books that are coming out or with his other work that he's doing as well which i'm very curious to see so in terms of best writer artist that went to darwin who names their kid Darwin? I love that. Darwin Cook. And that was for Richard Stark's Parker, the outfit. Now, he went up against Dan Klaus. Klaus? Klaus? Whatever. Joe Kubert, Terry Moore. See, this is why you want me to read them all. So I'm the one that sounds like the jackass <laughs> who can't pronounce them. Uh, James Sturm. 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 Whatever. And uh, I'm not. Naoki? Urasawa. Whatever. Um. I don't know. I of those I've read um, 
Echo. I've read a number of them, and I've read a, a little bit of 20th Century, but not enough to, to have a, an informed opinion. I don't know about you. No, I don't have enough experience there either. Okay. Echo is interesting because it's an interesting story. And I would like to talk to to him about it and whatnot to see, to get a little bit more information because it's an interesting story. However, I don't know. I didn't think that it was strong enough to warrant being in as many categories as it is. And I certainly, sorry, Terry, but the art, I certainly didn't think it was strong enough to warrant being in a best writer artist you know, category. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think so. Um, so in this case, uh, I'll have to check out Darwin's work to see what it's like, because uh, I am interested. Best Penciler Inker or Penciler Inker team went to Scotty Young for The Marvelous Land of Oz, which looks awesome, and it is actually a good series. So yeah, that's that's a, a good one in, in my opinion. Although um, nominated as well was Robert Rob uh, Giori for Chu. And... Man, <laughs> I love his work. I love his work. This is a really tough one. I like both of them. It's not that I would take away from one for the other, but I don't know what you think. Um, I The only one I've really seen there is uh, Chew, as well as Lock and Key, so I can't really compare it to Marvelous Land of Oz. Yeah. See, Lock and Key, people are crazy about the art and lock and key. And I reviewed it for the site too. And I got to say, I'm in the minority. Um, again, I don't want to take anything away from it because it is very good. However, I don't like the stark contrast between when it's more serious illustrations to the Calvin and Hobbes looking illustrations in the same issue. I, I That doesn't do anything for me. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he didn't win. No offense, um, Gabriel. <laughs> but <laughs> Rob Giori, I think, you know, maybe should have won. But again, the art in The Marvelous Line of Oz is really quite nice. Best Painter Multimedia Artist. That went to Juango Garnido. <laughs> no, no, really. Seriously, you try. You try. <laughs> For Black Sad. Um, I got nothing on this one. Let me see who else was nominated. We got Janet Lee was nominated. Janet, I don't see how uh, anybody. Okay, yeah, boom. Over that. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm looking through the. So we had Linda Berry was nominated. Um, Brett Evans. We got this dude. We got Janet Lee. We got Eric LaBerge, and we got Carol Tyler. Dude, yes, no. In all honesty, Janet Lee for sure, hands down, should have won this. I, I don't even need to look at what Black said looks like I, I i will of course but my appreciation of D- janet lee's artwork which is quite obvious from our interview with her is sky high i love the style i love the work that goes into it the originality and it's one of the best arts that we saw that i saw over the course of the last year absolutely the best cover artist went to mike mignola which is not surprising for hellboy uh, Baltimore, Baltimore, the plague ships, uh, or sorry, yeah, that's uh, two different ones. So yeah, he got it. Who else was up for it? Anybody that we care about? My, uh, Morning glories, Not particularly. The art on Morning glories, though, I will say, is actually quite good. The cover art the, is, the, is the covers have been kind of inconsistent, though. A lot of them have gone with that little uh, pinup style that you're not a fan of right yeah this is true um although david uh, peterson also did the cover art for mouse guard legend of the guard which dude man i love that i absolutely adore it so i would have been happy to see that of course Mike Mignola hellbore stuff always looks insanely cool as well 
Uh, best coloring went to Dave Stewart. And he's For done everything. <laughs> Tons of stuff. <laughs> and truth be told, um, I really, really did like his coloring on both Joe the Barbarian as well as Day Tripper. His coloring on Day Tripper, oh, beautiful. Absolutely gorgeous. And the the way that he captured light as well and color in Joe the Barbarian, which is mandatory for that kind of story, was really, really good. Uh, best lettering went to Dave Stewart, who, or no, sorry, Todd Klein for Fables, The Unwritten, Joe the Barbarian, iZombie. Well, I won't hold that against him. Um <laughs> But yeah, so okay. the words might not have been good, but the letters that made them yeah. up were all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, best comics related periodical. What are we looking at here? Come book resources. Okay. Uh, do we care about anything else that's left? Best comic related book. 75 years of DC comics. Best publication design. Oh, yeah. Best publication design went to Dave Stevens for the Rocketeers Artist Edition. And that one, the Dapper Men was nominated for as well. I'm sorry, guys. Dapper Men should have won. Love the design of that sucker. <laughs> I don't know. Publication design, the Rocketeer Artist Edition was is a beautiful, gorgeous book, and it, it's really started a trend towards releasing uh, artist editions of other works. So okay, I, I I really like that one as as far as publication design is concerned. I'll check it out. It's just that really, I absolutely adored the look of of Dapperman. I I really loved it, but I will check it out to see whether or not. What I think. And then Hall of Fame Judge's Choice went to Ernie Bushmiller, Jack Jackson, uh, Martin Nodell, and Lynn Ward. And that's that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's all of it. It's, it's. Um, I mean, there was nobody who won that I thought, oh, you bastard, you didn't deserve that. You <laughs> How did Superboy yeah. win Oh, award? dude, if, the, if, if iZombie would have won anything... <laughs> <laughs> We're done. We're closing up shop. What's the point of continuing, you know, or Superboy? But uh, but they didn't, so we can continue. All right. So continue we shall. And, um, of course, there's more to Comic-Con than the awards. And that's, that's all the great panels and stuff. But before we get to that... Um, we're focusing on DC here because this this was their show. This was their chance to come out and really show people what this whole relaunch is about. But a bunch of fans actually staged a protest outside a Comic-Con. A bunch? They, they had over 500 people promised to be here on their <laughs> Facebook page. So this huge, giant protest, 12 people showed up. The video on the site <laughs> on Comics Alliance... <laughs> killed me it's going to be linked in the show notes so folks can check it out you have to watch it just i i i couldn't you could see it coming and as soon as <laughs> when he turns around and there's nobody there <laughs> it's like yep yeah i can i can see that yeah wait 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 to really uh show your stuff there fans <laughs> really came through with that hard-hitting blow of that, that protest yeah really you got so many people cheering about what's going on these guys here are all dressed up to protest and there's 12 of them and they were all dressed as the same character. Yeah, it's like you can only have so many jokers, jokers and Harley Quinn. Really, people, come on, a little originality. <laughs> all right. Well, getting into the panels themselves, uh, we're just going to briefly touch on a couple of the big ones. Um, we had the Flashpoint panel, which I found really cool because it, it shows that there's more to Flashpoint than just Barry Allen. Um, Kid Flash, uh, Bart Allen, Wally West, and Jay Garrick. So all four of the Flashes are going to play really important roles in the story. So if you haven't been reading the Kid Flash miniseries, that one looks like it's really going to play an important role, role into how things all uh, reach their end. 
I um, I really liked some of the panel stuff. However, as is often as the case in some of these, the um, the the people who are up there sometimes take a little bit too flippant flippant an attitude oh, yeah. with it, and oh, yeah. there's far too much joking around. There's far too much where a question is answered, and they're actually not answering it. It's just a, a sarcastic reply or something like that, and you're not really getting an answer. Now I understand that's partially because they don't want to answer it, or it's it's something that they cannot answer at the moment. I get that, but. I would rather they say just that rather than these flippant comments. You know what I mean? Yeah, and a there lot was of times they're outright rude. I oh, mean, yeah. come on, guys. Yeah, these no, are the people who are who are supporting your lifestyles. Uh, let's be a little nicer to the fans. And and that is it as well too. It's I. And we see that in other conventions as well, too, where the people who are on stage suddenly feel like they're these little mini gods. And it's like, no, no, you don't understand. Your whole career hangs on a very delicate balance. That's why they have to do such big things like this to stimulate sales. You want to really try to be as cool for your audience as possible. Do great things like giving them away Wayne Casino poker chips. <laughs> Dude, somebody's got to mail me one of those because I want. One. <laughs> All right. So moving forward, we had uh, several panels focusing specifically on the new 52, as they're calling it, uh, the big relaunch stuff going on. And one of the cool lines I thought they had here is how they had initially planned to relaunch everything except action comics and detective comics, because, you know, everybody's freaking out because, you know, it's been going on for 900 plus issues. Uh, you can't start over with a new issue one. But the way they said it was if we didn't relaunch those two titles as well, people wouldn't think we were fully committed to this. You know, it would give us an out for turning back around. So at least uh, from a publishing side of things, I really have to respect them for that decision for, OK, you know, they this really is a new era for the company. So let's not let's not half ass it. Let's just do it and do it fully. Yeah, see, the thing with that, though, is that because we're getting a couple of titles that are still going to remain five years in the past, and we're looking at, I believe it's Justice League as well as Action Comics. So, yes, they're getting rebooted. However, they're still going to be set five years in the past. At least to start with is what I got, got from yeah, this. Yeah, uh, but that is still giving them... Some kind of, not necessarily an out, but an anchor for those who are less apt to want to embrace this change, this reboot. You know what I mean? Well, At least there's going to be two titles that, okay, you're not happy with the reboot here. There's a couple of titles you can still pick up that are long running series. Well, it's just the way that the, that was explained to me is it's probably just going to be for the first story arc of each of those titles, which is set in the past. And I think that's something they had to do because they're making such huge shifts with, you know, the entire continuity of the company showing that at least in these two titles, OK, here's where we're starting from, which is why you see. All right. I'm going to spoil some stuff here for people who don't know, uh, which is why we see Hal Jordan in the Justice League when we know when Green Lantern relaunches in September, Sinestro is the title character in that comic. So it's important to establish 
a small starting point because in that intervening five years between Justice League and Action Comics and everything else, that's when the entire history of DC Comics has occurred. Stuff like the death of Superman, um, stuff like uh, the killing joke with uh, Barbara Gordon getting paralyzed, uh, Blackest Night, all the Green Lantern stuff. Basically, all the major stories in DC history have still occurred, just compressed into that five-year timeline. So I, I think it it is a good move of them to at least establish a general timeline and showing that this isn't a reboot. This is a relaunch. And that is a huge differentiation between the two because everybody has been crying that, you know, the past 75 years of history now doesn't matter. And for the most part, it still does. Sure. Things are a little uh, wonky with some timelines here and there, but it's comics at some point, you just kind of have to go along with it. So I, I was really happy to see, that at least something makes a little bit of sense because I was very confused about that whole why is hell Jordan in the Justice League thing. See, I think that if they've been planning this for as long as they should have been planning this, then all of these, you know, five years prior should have been stuff that is happening in all of those issues leading up to September. So any history you need to get out of the way or establish or do whatever you need to with get it done before September. You had some other storylines in mind, screw it, ditch them, move on. Here's what you now need to be worrying about. Do we really need another doomsday story arc? No, no, we don't, especially if it's bad. So replace it with some <laughs> back history that we need to get us ready for the relaunch in, in September. So to be holding back on a couple is in my opinion, going to be causing more confusion than anything else. And it is still providing an anchor because I am betting you those are their biggest sellers as well. So by keeping them set five years in the past, they're not alienating those sales right off the bat, taking that chance with those sales. I just see it differently. I'm, I'm, we're going to disagree on that one. Fine. Yeah. But I'm right. Uh, okay. Uh, just, <laughs> just briefly touch on a couple of other points here. Uh, from Batman, we learned that Stephanie Brown, the current Batgirl, is still going to be around after the relaunch, even though Barbara Gordon is in the Batgirl title. Stephanie Brown, who has a huge fan following and I actually kind of like as Batgirl, she's still going to be around. And Batman Beyond might be going away for a little while, but it is not done. They, they, they've said that it's selling too well to just abandon it, and that makes me really happy. Yeah, it's... We knew that something would have to happen because when you're playing with continuity like that and it's a future, you know, series that this has to affect it, how it's going to affect it is going to be, I mean, you can, you can write your way out of it. You're probably going to wind up with corny, cheesy writing for that issue that, you know, changes the continuity to match the current relaunch. We've already kind of seen that. Exactly. So my way of looking at it is it's a freaking Band-Aid. You know what? You're going to, in issue number, what would it be at this point? 11, 12 or something like that? You know, in September, rip that Band-Aid off, write up some cheesy, corny continuity thing so that it makes sense in terms of that series and then keep moving on with it because I think that it's I think it's actually important to keep that series going right now because it is a fantastic series and I think that putting it in the hands of a good writer you could really have a lot of fun with it based on this relaunch as well with all the changes to Bruce and everything else I think and and then of course the changes to um 
any kind of Teen Titans or any kind of group like that throughout that we've seen hints of in future series, not to mention changes in terms of the Jokers and all of those things, you could really, really have a lot of fun. Like it's, it's literally when I look at all the series that they're relaunching and whatnot, if I were writing for comics and somebody said, okay, well, here's Batman Beyond. We really need somebody who can sink their teeth in. Dude, I would jump at the chance. I think you can really have a ton of fun with stories for that. Uh, moving on to Superman, um, there's been a lot of criticism over many of the changes they're making to obviously their most iconic hero. Things like him no longer being with Lois. Now, the fact that they're breaking up the relationship, I'm okay with that. I mean, they're, they're, they're taking a fresh start here. The execution leaves a lot to be desired, but that's a discussion for another day. But I got to say, they're making me care about Superman. And Superman is just one of those characters I've never really been into. And what really is making me care is hearing Grant Morrison talk about it. Now, I've had a lot of unkind things to say about Morrison <laughs> over the years, mostly specifically on his work with Batman and Final Crisis and a few issues with X-Men. Because some of a lot of the other stuff he's written has been fantastic, like Joe the Barbarian. And just hearing him talk about Superman and, and the way he, you know he has a grip on the character and what he wants to do with it, I am interested to see in what he can do with the character. I'm interested to see as well what he can do with it, but I'm of the same opinion as you as well. It really has never been a character that I cared that much for in his own title as part of the exactly. Justice League, as part of the um, Superman Batman series. I love him in those and whenever he appears in other ser series, I think that he provides that stable character, that anchor that you need in a series kind of thing, especially when you put him with um, with Bruce Wayne, of course. Anytime you you, you put the Superman-Batman combo together, I think it's, it's golden. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do with this. However, I can honestly say that I'll probably only pick up the first couple of issues, and unless it's stellar, that'll probably be it. Yeah. It, I'm giving it a chance, though, which is more than I would normally say about Superman. Now, that said, I've got it up on the screen here. I don't know if you picked up. The, oh, oh, OK, what? It's it's so horribly cliched and just unnecessary. I mean, it is. It God. is. It, it is absolutely. I And this is another reason why I'm saying I don't know if it'll even hold me for two uh, well, issues, but to, we'll see. To, to credit, this is in the actual Superman. Morrison is writing action comics. OK. So, but here's what kills me, because whoever did the art for this, <laughs> Superman is a little shorter than Lois Lane. Look in at the pictures. In, not in all of them, <laughs> but in some of them. And it's not, you can't blame it on the camera angle either, because yes, they, they play with angles, especially in this one. However, if you look at here, and what's funny is that if you look at the writing, one of the, the comments that this, this shirtless bozo says is, wow, he's a lot taller than he'd be. I thought he'd be. He's shorter than Lois Lane. Uh <laughs> Part of me would like to say that the the height discrepancy has to do with the way Clark is being meant to feel in this scene, but I think that's giving them way too much credit. No, you know what it is? It's all about the placement of the 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 the, the balloons. That's all it is. When you're looking at how they needed to place the captions, that's how he framed the scenes. And yeah, Clark is freaking shorter than Lois. <laughs> and I was like, man, somebody needs to work on that. Yeah. A little quirk, but it was worth mentioning. 
Anything else to touch on for DC before we move on? Uh, well, there was, but I mean, we've got a lot still to cover with Marvel. I, I again, I thought that they were a little too flippant. I, I was interested though in a lot of the things that they had to say about the Justice League. I think that they spent far too much time talking about the costumes, and Jim Lee was far too protective of the he put up though with uh, Wonder Woman holding the pants. <laughs> yeah, far too. You know, the freaking collars apparently mean the world to him. Everybody must have a uniform collar to show their team. Give me a freaking break. They're people with tights. Come on, it's not that important. So I don't know. The costumes really didn't mean that much to me. I was more interested in the um, the characters and what we can look forward to. And so there's a lot of stuff that we're hearing too with like the the Justice Society where a lot of those characters are going to be taking a break and will be around, which is a little disappointing because they did so much to reintroduce them. And now that's just going to be going away for a while. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see until Jeff Johns really wants to write, you know, Dr. Midnight again. Yeah, he gets to decide whatever the hell he wants to write. (laughs) And that's all he is. But yeah, we'll leave it at that. Okay, so moving on to Marvel, uh, the big news coming out of Marvel is that they are uh, finally joining DC into in the release day digital program. Uh, unlike DC, just doing it all at once, they're doing it in a, in a more uh, spaced out way. Like, for example, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 667, the first official issue of Spider Island. Starting with that issue, every issue of Amazing Spider-Man is going to be available release day digital. Uh, they also said uh, the relaunch coming up with Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine and the X-Men, once those those issue ones come out, then the X-Men titles will start being made available digitally. I think that's a smarter way to go about it uh, than just, hey, here's 52 comics, go read them. But of course, we still have the issue of cover pricing, and we've had that argument. <laughs> and did they say how much they're going to be charging? Because I didn't no, see. No, they, they haven't. It's just assumed that since it's become the industry standard, it's going to be cover price. Because in Marvel's tests that they've done for comics like... Um, Ultimate Thor is the first one that comes to mind. The digital comics were available at cover price. They can bite me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of Fear Itself stuff, which... Uh, uh, the one thing... Um, coming out of the Fear Itself panel that I really uh, was interested in is that we all know Greg Pak, his six-year run on Incredible Hulk is coming to an end, and he's handing it over to Jason Aaron. And I'm excited about that. I've liked a lot of Aaron's writing recently, so knowing that a character that a couple years ago I didn't care anything about and came to love because of one writer is being handed over to another writer I have respect for, so I really like that. Uh, we got a lot of talk about the Ultimate line and um, how Ultimate X-Men is going to have a tone different from past X-Men titles because it's no longer about Xavier versus Magneto. They're dead. So the X-Men in his title, they're just fighting for survival. They don't care about acceptance. They don't care about you know being the next step in human evolution. They just want to make it to the next sunrise. So I think that's an interesting uh, touch on uh, – just the X-Men concept and how the ultimate line can do things so differently from the normal comics. This I'm really, really looking forward to. Very, very much looking forward to. Um, like we've talked on prior episodes, I've been getting caught up on the ultimate X-Men. And I am about at issue number the mid-70s right now. And I've been digging it. Like, seriously, I've been really, really digging it. There's aspects of it that I don't I haven't been enjoying as much. Um, most of them revolving around just that teenage melodramatic bullshit. So I've been a little disappointed that there's been just a little bit too much in it. But they've been tackling things like, 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 
like Kurt having a huge problem with Colossus being gay. Yeah. Wow. Like really seriously, whenever you're reading a an X-Men title for the most part, it's going to be Logan that's the bastard that, you know, everybody has a problem with, but deep down you have a problem with him, but you kind of still love him and he's still not a bad guy. He just carves people up. Whereas this here is just a point blank bigoted response that you you feel strongly about and yet it's towards a character not towards but it's coming from a character that we all love and adore i mean i god i love the nightcrawler character so it's things like that throughout that i've been really really enjoying and so and i've been loving the permanence of death in that series as well i mean Mm -hmm. freaking bees tank dies really early on and it was like holy crap no, seriously, is he gone? Yeah. That's it? Wow. He ain't come back yet. Yeah, so there's a lot of things like that where, like, in one of the, the issues, not long after that, where Colossus says, if I die, I want to be buried next to Hank. And that statement holds a lot more power because you actually know now that death is permanent there. And that's huge. So I've been really digging it. So, but... It, Despite that, I'm still seeing where they didn't take enough chances. I mean, they certainly took a lot of chances, but in my opinion, not enough. So here we're getting that. Here it is going to be, okay, now forget about freaking X-Men. Forget about fancy costumes. Oh, I mean, they may still have costumes, but, you know, forget about all that crap. Now it's just survive, okay? Go out there and survive. And it if they can play it in such a way that it has a, a nearly a post-apocalyptic feel kind of to it, I think that they can really have a lot of fun with this and, and it could be something that we could really come to care for characters. And we've even seen bits of that uh, with Ultimate Fallout 3 that came out this week with uh, Kitty and Bobby. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> that, <clears throat> that's not cool. Shut up. <laughs> it's, I, I'm holding it right here. You know what, dude? I've managed to score. I know you don't care, but our audience cares. Our audience supports me in my variant cover love. And I managed to score all three so far issues of the variant. That is the one that is spliced one next to the other to make one full panel. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. Because I, well, again, I was out of town for the funeral. And so obviously I didn't make it to the comic book store. And when, when we finally got back, I I went to the comic book store and I was sure to be gone by then. And there it was. And it was like, yay, give it to me now. (laughs) Sorry, go on. (laughs) Moving on. Uh, We were looking at a lot of big changes coming to Avengers Academy where they're saying. We're not done talking X-Men though. There's more X-Men. I, that that comes in a later panel. This is the next big thing. All right, fine. I'm, follow, I'm following the show notes. Well, you haven't been with the others. You kind of jumped around a little bit, so I thought you were going to just lump all the X-Men into one. All right, fine. Move on. Okay. Uh, the Avengers Academy, they're uh, <laughs> upping recruitment and how they, they've teased a lot of fan favorite characters maybe joining the cast. And I know you have your issues because you didn't really have a very good introduction to them, but I'm seriously saying Avengers Academy overall is a great comic. And I, I'm interested to see what else they can do uh, with the cast. Insert on, dead air here. Ah, <laughs> I, even the fear itself tie-ins have been phenomenal. Oh, Sorry. come on. <sighs> I'm not talking to you anymore. Yeah. 
they they have teased that Jeff Loeb and Ed McInnes are going to be teaming up to bring uh, Cable back. He's been dead for about a year now, which is about as long as Cable has ever stayed dead for. So uh, that could be interesting. Jeff Loeb has been a good writer, uh, a little inconsistent at times, but Ed McGinnis on art, it might be worth buying just for that. Uh, moving on to the actual X-Men instead of the ultimate X-Men, uh, they've I wonder how much of this is misinformation because they seem really adamant about Cyclops not being yeah. on the cover of Uncanny X-Men. I don't know if this is, you know, like I said, just misinformation or if this actually could be something that's important. I'm all right with him going and I'm all right with him being killed for good. I'm all right with with Logan finally taking his freaking head off and that being that move on with somebody else leading that branch of the X-Men. And from a writing perspective as well, it would actually work where something that serious would cause that big a rift between them. Now there are some covers that we saw which show uh what might be considered an epic battle between Wolverine and Logan where they're fighting it out. And one of the pictures shows essentially Wolverine with the upper hand and then the other one shows um, Scott with the upper hand. So who would actually win it? Who knows? But if it came to that and it was that was the defining moment that caused the schism, the, the split between the two teams and then the other team follows God knows who. If it's not going to be Scott, who knows who it's going to be. From what we're seeing on that com- that cover, we obviously know Emma is the only one that's been fully revealed. But you look at the outlines and you see Magneto back there. So who knows? Yeah, but Emma is in some of the pictures. When you're looking at the split, Emma's in the picture with Logan. Don't 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 look at the split. The split is just promotional. This yeah. is the actual cover for Uncanny Number One. Which one? Which one? Okay, because look at the screen. You're going to see what I'm pulling up there. So that's the split one there, and it shows there's Emma with Wolverine. That's just that's just promotional Promotional crap. They they, they took this picture and they tore it in half. That's not. So which one are you referring to then? The uh, cover for Uncanny number one, where it's all the characters are blacked out except Emma. Okay, I don't see that one. But we can keep moving on. Yeah, no, the the um, yeah, I don't see it there on that page either. No, I don't. OK, well, see, and that would then make more sense. OK, again, there from it is a, there. The, the, the first one. right? OK, there. gotcha. So from a, a standpoint, uh, a writing standpoint, it would be a big enough departure that Emma would take over that team and say, that's it. You get the hell out of Dodge. And then Wolverine just takes off with whoever wants to follow him. So that I can actually see. I would actually be happy with that. It would make sense and it would warrant the splitting of the the team. But I mean, and and again, a lot of people really like the Cyclops character. I'm I'm all right with him being gone. He's become a little too uh, alpha male in recent years. It's time for him to take a step back. And the sadly, it's it's not just that. It's that his character has become just the same thing. it's just always that same character that he always is. And there's very little room for growth because he's so shut down and so guarded and everything else. And there's really, there hasn't been enough to the character to make him someone that you would care about that you would, if again, suspending way amounts of disbelief here, if you were in that world and you were someone who needed to follow somebody, probably wouldn't follow him so Mm -hmm. it's a character that right now i don't think is very well written and i'd be fine with him disappearing all right so uh the last major thing i I got out of marvel is that they've said in uncanny x-force they're currently doing this whole trip to the age of apocalypse and they say point blank something is coming back please be curt 
<laughs> that would be so freaking awesome. See, they listen to the podcast. That's what it is. Bring yeah. back evil Kurt from that, that other dimension. Bring him back with you. Oh, God, I, I, I would write it. Just give me a freaking <laughs> paycheck. I will write for you and I will write you nothing but awesome with Kurt in it. <laughs> and there was a lot of other stuff in there that we're obviously uh, skipping over the interest of time. Uh, anything else there for you, Raj? There's a couple of things. Um, as much as I hate Deadpool <laughs> at times, <laughs> evil Deadpool. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> sounds like it might be fun to read. It may not be, but I'm thinking. That, might not be good. <laughs> no, but it might be fun to read. Um, the other thing, too, when they were talking about the, the Ultimates, going back to the Ultimates before, I really did like the little snippy comment that they're only going to need three issues for you to buy to be caught up on your Ultimates universe versus 52. <laughs> yeah, nice. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the biggest thing for me as well is I, I immediately locked into the Age of Apocalypse stuff. I, I'm i really looking forward to what's going to happen with that. Yeah. Oh, and the, the, the X-23. Okay, she's on the right path here because she knows that the stuff for the first year was about really getting into the character's head and defining who X-23 is. Now, the following year is all going to be about how she interacts with the Marvel Universe, the Marvel characters. Oh, now that should be fun, especially when you look at the cover that shows her standing while the rest of the Future Foundation is laying at her feet. <laughs> yes, give me more of that now and I will be very, very happy. All right. I said, I haven't really been interested in that one for a while, but we'll see. But the potential right. is there. So just to touch on a few other uh, quick things here, uh, Witch Doctor uh, from Image uh, with Robert Kirkman's Skybound imprint, which I have loved the first two issues. They've said it's doing well. So after its initial miniseries is up with, it's going to be coming back for more. And for some god awful reason, Robert Kirkman likes Robert Lee Field's art on the infinite. Uh, so something is wrong with Kirkman. <laughs> Uh, Brian K. Vaughn has a new comic coming out called Saga. It's also coming to Image, and Vaughn has written some of the most phenomenal comics of the past decade uh, with Why the Last Man and Ex Machina. So seeing him coming back and writing something else, that will be at the top of my buy list when it finally does come out. And then there is one other comic that Image announced that you are very MacGyver. interested in. MacGyver, dude. Oh, man. <laughs> that is awesome. That is freaking awesome. Depending on who writes it, depending on how they write it. Um, I really, really am looking forward to seeing what they do with it. That's the thing, because it's all well and good to have a, a soft spot in your heart for, you know, that character and that series. And, and a lot of us of that generation do. But I really am curious what they're going to do with it now, because they, I, they can't just make him you know, an old guy now that's aged since then, that, that just won't work. So it's got to be the same character just in now versus then. So they, they have a lot of leeway to play with, obviously, that will will let them do that. But I think that if they can craft him in the same way that he was back then, because he was he was Nathan Drake before Nathan Drake was Nathan Drake. You know what I mean? He was it's he, he he's that that quintessential character that that fits that role that nobody else can do it quite the same so i think that again if they stick with that that you could have a really fun series that's not you know men in tights mm -hmm. all right so 
that pretty much wraps up what we're talking about here with uh, Comic-Con. Show notes uh, are going to have a lot of links for some stuff we didn't quite get to. There's there's really a lot of exciting stuff coming out from all companies, which if you read comics, that's really all you want to see is interesting stories being told with your favorite characters, as well as introducing some new stuff to the mix. So uh, it looks like looks like the next year is going to be uh, pretty good for us comic fans. So uh, rolling into our new releases for uh, this past week, we had very quickly Amazing Spider-Man 666, Captain America and Bucky 620, Criminal The Last of the Innocent number two, FF number seven, Incredible Hulks number 633, Mighty Thor number four, New Mutants 28, Secret Avengers 15, The Final Issue of Secret Warriors number 28, Ultimate Fallout number three, Uncanny X-Force number 12, Venom number five, X-Men Legacy 252, and the second issue of X-Men Schism, as well as collected editions of Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine, and the first volume of Avengers Academy. I had that Wolverine, Spider-Man Wolverine (laughs) in my hands, and it was like, oh, no, you own the copies, don't buy it. (laughs) (laughs) DC brings us Brightest Day, The Aftermath, Search for Swamp Thing, Issue 2, Flashpoint, Hal Jordan, Kid Flash Lost, starring Bart Allen, Lois Lane and the Resistance, and Project Superman, all issue number two, and Zombie, issue number five. And then rolling into some other companies, uh, Boom Studios has Incorruptible number 20. IDW has Joe Hill's The Cape number one, the new miniseries taking off where the single issue left off. And Image brings Invincible number 81. So I've got The Cape on my desk. I just haven't read it yet. So we can talk about it next week. Okay, so that wraps us up here for issue 37 of Comic Book Informer. As always, find us at comicbookinformer.com on Twitter at CB Informer. Still looking for some nice iTunes uh, reviews there. And we'll see everybody next week. In three days. (laughs) (laughs) H to the is O, B to the is A. H to the is O, B to the is A. That's the anthem, get your hands, hands up. In which case I just beat the find out where they live. Because I ain't recording all the for nothing. <laughs> if I'm sitting down today and we're doing this, you better well believe it's going to work. My wife's sitting in the hot tub right now with a drink. And it's like, I want to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven. <laughs> Heaven in liquid format. That's what it is. And what the crap? I checked the freaking show notes or the, the post for show notes. We got show notes for episode 37, 38, 39, 40. <laughs> I was like, Christ, someone's been a busy boy. But not just that. The, you, you, you freaking ninja episode 40. That's mine. You don't get to put show notes in there. You're, you're doing episode 39. That wasn't a trade. I don't recall us. We didn't trade. It wasn't. This isn't a a freaking grade school, you know, recess trade here. You give me that one and I'll give you this one. No, 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 no. 40 is mine. You gave up 39. Yeah, I ain't putting up with none of that crap. Yeah, it's all yours. Steal my 40. That just means I I have a whole extra episode in the future that I'm planned out ahead on. Yeah. Crazy. You're you're, you're planned out for a freaking month, dude. Uh, do you have the Eisners available? I I've got it on the screen. Oh, hey, you know what? Why don't I broadcast as well? That would help. Because yeah. there's a start broadcast button. And apparently, if you click it, other people can listen to your sh- It's awesome.
I don't know if they'd want to, but why wouldn't they is what I'm saying. Because <laughs> when you see a train start derailing, your eyes automatically turn to watch. That's what this is. H to the Izzo. H to the Izzo.